Thank you everyone for joining me on my Finding Our Father podcast. Today I'm blessed to have as my special guest, Catholic author David L. Gray. Thank you. Thank you, David, for joining me. Yeah, welcome me. in, Joseph. I'm happy to be here, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I've been reading your writings and I'm 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 really thankful that I found your website and I I found your YouTube channel. Um, like I've told everybody, I focus um on this series of podcasts on the issue of fatherhood, fatherlessness, and how those how those issues um, contribute to a lot of social ills that we're experiencing yeah. right now. And and you've been you know for a for a, a Catholic layman, you've been really open and honest about um, your conversion story. Yeah, so thank you. And I, I wanted to go right to that. And I will. Um, on the bottom of the page, I'll post a link to your website. And then what I do in the video description, I'll post a link to um, these articles that David has written in the video description. And um, where, could I ask you first, where, where were you born and where were you raised? Yeah, I was um, born and raised in Northeast Ohio, a little town called Warren, Ohio. Warren, Ohio. If you ever heard of, um, well, it's about an hour south of Cleveland. But it's more so around the Akron and Youngstown area. And then, and then, what, what, where, when were you born? If you don't mind me asking. Oh wow, we're getting personal here, Joseph. Uh, um, <laughs> well, you can ask a guy. I would never <laughs> ask a, a lady. Right. No. Um. I was born in 1972. Oh, so we're about the same. Yeah. We're about the same generation yeah. X. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a couple years behind you. Yeah. Was born. We're 69. Okay. So, okay. so I'm I'm older. Um, this one article, uh, this is what you wrote about, I'm just going to get right into your story. Um, I, 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 what's interesting too, is people that I've interviewed and people like you who are authors and uh, podcasters and Catholic, uh, Catholic laymen, what I've often found most interesting, I mean, besides what you've written and what you've done in your podcast is your own story. And it's, it's mm. been like that over and over again. Yeah. Um, you wrote this about, um, your father. You wrote, he said, my one regret is that I never got to raise a child from the beginning to the end. Even though dad had seven kids, his two marriages and two relationships that produced us always ended before any of us reached puberty. I spent my whole life trying not to be my dad in this regard that ended up being very similar to him. So, I mean, you, you had a complicated childhood I should say and I don't want to put words in your mouth but yeah um you know this is really interesting usually when people have me on their shows I'm talking about Freemasonry or I'm talking about liturgy oh. but uh, so this is different <laughs> I'm, I don't know I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna do here but um yeah I was um my father a little bit older than my mother he went away to the military and at some point in time he comes back and meets my mom my mom is still in high school at the time so he's a little bit older and um and so you know mom gets pregnant they never marry and and so you know the story i heard later on in life was that you know my father my biological father he didn't want me you know he didn't want me he wanted my mom abortion wasn't legal back then but he wanted her to get rid of it and he also you know he beat her um when he found out she's pregnant and so um but later on, I, but I think he always had a relationship with me. I always remember him 
when I was younger and there's pictures to prove it, you know, I'm always over at his house and, you know, I have, my memories can go back as far as about five years old. I always remember him being, you know, in my life. Okay. And we got closer. We got a lot closer when I got, you know, the older I got and I started getting into girls, I started getting into cars, you know, we, we, we got a lot, we got a lot closer. And, um, um, I always wanted to ask him about, that though you know about you know what's you know you don't want me or something like that you know but i never you know there was i was on a precipice of asking him one time when he's taking me to college i'm surely before he's taking me to college he's dropping me off back at home and um i wanted to ask him but it never came out you know something else came out like like hey dad you want to should i should i go to the military or should i go to college i don't i like i like i got became like a real coward i can't even ask him like this most important question before he passed away but yeah before he passed away um that was an interesting moment i was you know i traveled up to his house and he had he had retired he was he was an auto worker he had worked a lot of years he was always this disciplined guy very disciplined very um tight with his money and um but you know very responsible you know he owned his house he had a lot of cars you know motorcycles um so but after he retired from i think packard you know, they made cars in Warren, Ohio, after car parts. And after retired from there, he became, Joseph, he became Rick James. Rick James. He started partying all the time. Drugs, women. It was, he just became a whole different person after he retired. And all those drugs took a toll on him very fast because he went, he just went in full throttle. I think we had the same personality in that way. Um that same with me i'm either all in or i'm all out right and so i've had to learn how to moderate myself to not go crazy about everything but you know he, he has that same personality so when it came to the drugs he just went all the way in and it, it it took him and destroyed his body so and this is when i'm in his kitchen you know i travel up to see him he's not doing well and you know he and i and i um and i was recently divorced at that time too my wife had divorced me and so we're talking about you know, getting married, you know, said, ah, I don't know if I'm going to get married. Back then, I was, you know, I was discerning the priesthood. I don't really don't know what I'm going to do. I may want to be a priest. You, you were, know. you were, you were discerning the priesthood? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Wow. This is, okay. Yeah. Um, cause I, yeah, I was, I was a convert. I converted in 2006. Right. My right. wife divorced me in 2010. Right. I'm going to, so, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah. Right. So, you know, a lot of guys were like, yeah, you know, what do I do? I think we all have responsibilities to discern the priesthood. So, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, so, and I said, you know, what about you, Dad? You know, do you think you're going to um, get married again? Do you think you want to have, you know, kids again? And that's when he told me that, that, that his one regret was um, that he never had opportunity to raise any of us from beginning to the end. And it was amazing that I think he's like 20 years, 20 years older than me. And I was 38 at that time. So he had to be. I think he's 22 years older than me because he died when he was 60. So well, he died um, very young. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it was amazing to me at 60 years old that he, he would still do it again, you know? So, yeah. So it, you had a sort of, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you had a, a sort of reconciliation with your dad at, at that, at that moment. No, I would say, I would say it was, it was, it was good hearing that from my dad. Yeah. that because i remember when i was a kid you know all my brothers I was, i'm a I always call myself an anomaly right because my mom she went on to get married 
and she has she has four kids with my stepfather Roy, and all of them have his last name Joseph, right? You know McCullough, and then my dad, you know, he had you know a couple wives and you know some women kids by other women, and all of them have his last name, right? right. Scott, but I'm David Gray. You know, I have my mother's maiden name. And so I always wrote about that here too. I wanted to get to that. Yeah. So I always felt like the odd person now. And so I asked him, I remember asking him at one point in time when I was, um, when I was still in high school, I said, Hey dad, you know, cause my, my other siblings who were from his previous marriages were living with him at that time. And I was like, Hey dad, how come I never live with you? Right. And he was like, well, you never asked. And so, and that always kind of bugged me. Right. And so when we come back until they're in this kitchen when he's 60, you know, near death, and he's telling me, you know, my one regret was, you know, I never had that opportunity to raise any of you guys from beginning to the end. That, that meant something to me. I, I did. I think, I think a lot of us who had, you know, a lot of us who had troubled relationships with our fathers wish, my dad's passed on, wish that we could have had some kind of, conversation like that um with our fathers i never really really did i think a lot remained unspoken between us i think we had an understanding but but that that popped out to me when i read it and then and then you talk about your your stepfather and you wrote you wrote this you're you're a beautiful writer too i had a stepfather as a kid and i think roy senior did the best he was capable of, and I'm deeply grateful that my mom gave me that, but it cost me deeply as well. Once she and Roy started having their own kids, my four brothers, I began to realize that I was different and that I was all alone. Sure, Roy came to most of my baseball and football games, but he was my brother's coach. My brothers had his last name. One of them has his first name, but I had my mother's maiden name. I'm sure Roy loved me, but it looked different from how he loved my brothers. I was deeply affected psychologically by feeling that I was invisible. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, it, I was, um, I don't know why it was, but I always felt alone. I don't know why, you know. I remember just always feeling alone as a kid, right? Um, I, I can, I, I can, I, I, I read that back to you and I wanted people to hear it and I want people to read it. Cause yeah, I, I experienced that as well. And a lot of men, especially men who later got into homosexuality, I mean, yeah. it's different circumstances, different families, different family dynamics, right. but right. there's that feeling of not belonging, of being alone, of so just something being wrong. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I remember, I told my mother that one time too. I was, um, I remember I was in a bathtub and I just start, Joseph, I just start crying out of nowhere, just, just bawling out. And my mother comes into the, the bathroom and she asks me, you know, what's wrong with you? And, you know, I tell her I feel alone. And my mother is a wonderful woman, bless her soul. But, she's not that deep, you know, she, you know, she's pretty shallow in a funny sort of way. So, <laughs> and she, and my mother says, why do you feel alone? You're not ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Oh, God bless I mean, her. Yeah, that's how deep she could go. That's how, you know, that's, that's what she was thinking. And that was really the first time my mother lied to me, Joseph, because I was a very ugly kid. I mean, I was very ugly. Um, even family members would tell me I'm ugly. Really? Yeah, oh. yeah. I was, okay. Yeah, I was, I was, I was I maybe well, an ugly grew duckling. At, well, you grew out of that then. Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, maybe I was an ugly duckling. I don't know. <laughs> 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 but, um, yeah, and so... Yeah, that's yeah, that's like one of the earliest memories I have of just having that that consciousness of just feeling like completely alone. Well, you said it here. It's a psychological wound, and people can't see that. I mean, even people that love you a lot of times can't mm. see it because it's it's inside. It's inside. Yeah, that feeling um, of invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Then then you wrote this. As this I found very interesting because I'm assuming you know this you're growing up in this the 1970s, mm-hmm. and and now I hear this story a lot, especially from young men, where you know half of families nowadays are, are divorced, half, yeah, you know, so kids are usually living full time with mom and then part time with with dad, and then dad a lot and mothers do this too, and dad a lot of times then starts another family and has you know kids with the other wife this is interesting what you wrote here it's pretty prophetic as for my biological father he would pick me up every other weekend but it was just a different version of being all alone at his house all of my siblings who lived with him had his last name one of them had his first name sure it was always fun times at dad's house but i was just passing through I was there on Friday and gone by Saturday and invisible for the next two weeks. Just heartbreaking. <laughs> I, 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 think, I, think, I think a lot of children experience, I mean, I hear it, experience that yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, um, I don't know, I don't, you know, it's hard. You know, I could, back then when I wrote that, I was able to put that into like in, in, in the words. But when you're a kid, you don't know really how oh, you no. feel. You know, you, you, you feel, you feel kind of off, right? But you don't, you don't, you're not able to articulate it. You don't even know what's wrong. And I remember when my, um, you know, my mother got married. I was the only kid for a while, you know, as far as my mother is, my mother's kid. And on my maternal side of family, I was the only boy for like eight years, right? Until my mother started having kids with Roy. And, and all of a sudden, I, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the center of attention anymore in my mom's house. And that was a struggle as well. And, and I ended up flunking. And that was a year, that was that same year, you know, I'm talking about, man, I feel, I'm some, coming to this consciousness of feeling alone. And, you know, I ended up flunking fourth grade, not because I wasn't smart or anything. I think, I, you know, they had these all psychological tests, these IQ tests, you know, I was fine intellectually, but something was just off with me in, in school because something's off with me at home. Yeah, and and my and the it's most the work- I I remember seeing. Sorry, I remember seeing that because I flunked a grade too. Oh, really? Yes, I did. Wow, you think it was the same thing? I, I just there was something going on with me that just manifested. Yeah, at, at school. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I had different. I was raised in a different family than yours with different circumstances. Yeah. But yeah, I just mm, there was something psychologically going on with me. Yeah. Cause you're a very intelligent guy. Obviously it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't an issue of probably intelligence back then. It was just that sometimes that, you know, as a school teacher, when I was a school teacher, I was always conscious 
of my students not performing to a level that I knew they were able to. Right. And so I was always conscious, maybe there's something going on at home. You know? Sure. Well, I, I also, you know, I went to Catholic schools and I had, I don't know if it's, a, I think grammar schools, you know, and public schools are the same way. I had all female teachers. Mm. I, I think if I would have had a male teacher, I think at that mm. point, I, I think it would have helped. I, I did it. I, th I did in middle school, yeah. you know, because I was an odd kid. I just, you know, didn't get along with other boys and yeah. was feeling like you talked about feeling lonely and alone a lot and just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was strange, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Can I? This is it. This is at the end of this article, and this is this really got to me, probably more than anything that I've read so far. You wrote that yearning I had to belong to someone to have one of my father's last names was nothing less than my innate desire to belong to God. My heart was just trying to find its home in the apparently closer relationship that my fathers had with my brothers. I saw a taste of what the divine looks like. And because of that, I felt the pain of not yet having it. I felt all alone and I cried out for it without knowing for that. I cried. Wow. This, <laughs> This is jam-packed because I think what you're talking about here is the root of a lot of societal problems. I think there's a young man that are yearning for, the, for I think it starts with a faulty relationship with their father, whether it's abusive or not. And then, but it's also connected with their longing for, like you talked about, with longing for God and the divine. And when... If one doesn't happen, the other doesn't happen, and you have people that are really lost, and I think are angry. So, mm. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's yes, man. I don't think even even obviously, it's again one of those things back then. You just don't obviously know what you're searching for, what you're longing for. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That a lot of that probably is obviously the root of a lot of societal ills of people just searching for the wrong the right thing, sometimes the wrong thing in all the wrong places, right? And you were looking, you were looking even in your own family and observing, I mean, because you had a, a unique kind of perspective where I a lot of times was looking at my, fr at my friends or my peers at school, okay. observing their relationships with okay. their dads. I mean, you were looking in your own family with your stepbrothers and saying, well, that's something that is missing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's um, you know, it's easy to notice too. Like you <clears throat> read earlier, you know, when my 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 mom and my stepfather start having kids, you know, I just because up until then, I, I thought I was completely Roy's. I thought I was like his blood. You know, I was like, oh, this is what I have here is awesome. You know, he's at my games. You know, he's teaching me baseball. I thought that was. I thought that was normal, you know, and it's a little bit different than what I had when I went to see my um, father Oscar on weekends. You know, he was great too, and I had obviously you know two two good dads, but but yeah, when my 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 brothers started coming along, you know how Roy treated them was just okay. Well, maybe that's it, you know, 
And that's right there. I think that really affected me more than anything else in my life because I never wanted both my relationship, with both of my fathers affected me more than anything in my life. First with Oscar, my father, is that the first promise I've ever made to myself was that I do not want to be a father like him. I never want to be, I never want my kids outside the house. I want to see my kids in the morning and when they wake up, I want to see them in their whole life. And, and so in the first promise I ever made to myself is like, it was a silly promise I made to myself. I said, the first woman I get pregnant, I'm going to marry. All right. Cause I, you know, I wasn't catechized or anything. I didn't know the proper order of things. I knew it was supposed to be, I didn't know it was supposed to be the opposite, like, <laughs> you know, getting married first. But that was the first promise I ever made to myself. The first woman I get pregnant, I'm going to marry. And I did that. All right. So that affected me. I never wanted to be some sort of weekend dad. Yeah. And, but then with, with Oscar, I mean, with, with my stepfather, Roy, um, that came into play after I did get divorced. And here I am just like Oscar. You know, I'm like this. I'm worse than a weekend dad sometimes because I'm living very far away from my daughters at that point. So I'm worse than that. So that, that's upsetting. And but then with Oscar, but then I'm sorry, but my, my stepfather, Roy, that comes into play. Because now, you know, I'm saying, oh, okay, if I do give for a woman, I do not want to be a stepfather. I do not mm. want to be with a woman who has a kid already because yeah. I don't want that child to feel like I felt different. Mm. Like I felt with when um, Roy and my mom start having kids. I don't want to, mm. I never want to put that, that emotional baggage on a kid. So, but there I was getting married to Felicia who already had a kid. So, <laughs> You, it's, it's crucial that, because a lot of men won't do this, it's crucial that you admit that your relationship with your father and your stepfather were really, were really integral and instrumental in your life. I mean, my dad was not abusive to me. He never, he never hit me. But our relationship was just, was just strained. I think we were very, very different people. We didn't, we didn't click. And it, I, although... I kind of disregarded my relationship with my dad, you know, later, it took a lot of time to figure out that it was important. I think, I think the, the, to a young boy, I think the most important relationship in his life is going to be with his dad when he's young. I think it were, sets were you, up so much were you, later. Were you, the, were you the only boy? No, no, I have a brother. Was he older or younger? Older. He was older. How, how, how was their relationship? Uh, probably the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. My dad, you know, things are complicated. And when you're a kid, your father is not like a human being. He's just like this, he's almost like God. He's just like this person in your life. He's, he's and, other. Yeah, he's other. Yeah, he's other. I mean, a mother is a little, or I don't know, maybe it's different in different families. But a mother is, you know, more, more tender, more compassionate. She's more there. Um. And dad is kind of the arbiter of, you know, punishment and he's, you know, and that was, that was my, my dad. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, later learning about my dad's own childhood, like shock, my dad actually had a childhood, you know, and he was a boy and he had a father. Wow. You know? <laughs> so it, learning that it was quite, he had a very quite difficult childhood. And when I learned about that, it made sense that he had difficult relating to his son. Yeah. You know, yeah. I heard, I read one time and I thought, I think, I think it's true for some people. I don't know if it's true for you, but 
they say at some point in time, a, a boy in his, on his journey to manhood, he'll develop a very tenuous relationship with his father. And it's because that there comes a point in time where his father can't teach him anything. He starts to disregard what his father says. And so that boy then has to go out and find another man to mentor him and, and, and teach him what he's going to not accept from his father. And, and I think that's true. You know, kids I mentored, I think that was a relationship I had with them because had a lot of them had a dad, but they're at that point in their life where like, you know, they need to hear from another man the truth and that will have an impact. But I think with me, I never had to have that. I never got a chance to have the opportunity. Um, but you were raised, you were, you were, um, you were involved in sports, David. So did you, did you have good coaches that were good? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was just thinking about as, as I was listening to you. Because when I read your story, I was like, well, I always look at, you know, I haven't, everything in my perspective is kind of LGBT. I kind of look. And I go, well, you know, his story is very similar to a lot of men who later became gay. Oh. But, but <laughs> you know, I saw that and I thought, well, he was involved in sports. So he, he probably had a good coach. He had a lot of camaraderie with other people, with yeah. other boys on the team. So that's, that makes a difference. A oh, so you're saying like gay guys, they don't, guy, well, guys are attracted to, you know, get a point where they're attracted to men and attracted to the same sex. They go through... You saying they're not really into sports, or? Well, that's a, that's a stereotype. But I mean, okay. typically, you'll find um, that's why I could relate to your story on it on a certain level. I mean, yeah. you'll find a young man who feels alone, alienated, whatever. There's some kind of strained relationship with their dad. There's just it's it's not it not doesn't necessarily is abusive, but it just it's not it's not working. Hmm. And then a lot of times a young man like that will become more friendships with girls, have a more intense relationship with his mother and all, and all these other, these other dynamics will hit. There's a sensitivity and uh, you know, okay, uh, it's a different personality. You know, you know what, you know, I think I did have, I did have, so I didn't have any really coach that were strong mentors or teachers who were like strong mentors. I never, I never had that, but thinking now, that's, that's a good, you know, that, that caused me to think, remember something. I think what I did have, Joseph, I had a lot of good male friends mm. who had good fathers, or what appeared to me good relationships with their fathers, um, some really close friends. And so I think in them, I was able to see, okay, that's, okay, that's how that works. Okay. I can, okay. I see, I see, and I see more of what I was missing, you know, with my, my friends who had, um, you know, fathers in the house. So maybe, maybe it was that. Yeah. Um, now you've been open and honest about your conversion story. So mm -hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to move on to that. Do you think, because you had some difficulties later in life, do you think any of that had to do with, with your childhood or difficulties you had with, with your father or your stepfather? Have you, have you, have you, have you thought about that? Uh, what aspect? Um, well, the way I've thought about it is that a, a lot of men who who grow up in, let's say, a dysfunctional situation or, mm. or something in the family, it'll exhibit itself later in life, whether it's a turn towards homosexuality, pornography, alcoholism, gambling. I mean, you got involved with some criminal activity that you talked yeah. about. I mean, sometimes I think it just manifests later on. 
in hmm. in different ways and different people. Yeah. Are you a psychologist? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had 20 years of therapy. <laughs> Funny, I know because people people write because I write stuff like this, and people will go, "Yeah, are you like a psych? You should have been a psychiatrist." Right, right. So, well, you know, I self analyze myself a lot, okay. and when I read, and when I read, you know, because I'm reading your life story essentially, I yeah. start analyzing you, and I, I want to know about your childhood. I want to know about yeah. different things. I go, well, "Why did he do this? And why did he do that?" Yeah. Because I'm I'm very interested in people and and how how they think and why they do things. You know, yeah. you so know I was never... when I was reading your story, that's what I was thinking about. I go, well, you know, I don't I don't I've 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 always failed to make the connection between my my childhood and what you know uh, me ended up embezzling money from my company. Well, my, not my company, the company I work for. I, I mean, I can really only point to a couple of things. A couple of things. Um, you know, people are in, inclined to different things. You know, we're all inclined to some sort of um, uh, disorder or behavior that we shouldn't be doing uh, as children of God. I've, for as long as I remember, I've always been inclined to taking things that wasn't mine. Hmm. When I was five years old, I, I came out of the store with a with a um I had to be around five. I came out of the store with this little remember those little plastic boats you could put in the tub with you? Oh yeah. Yeah, I just walked out of the store with it and I got back to the car and and I was like, Hey mom, look what I got. And my grandmother's there and she's like, Gwen, take that back into the store. What didn't happen at that moment was any accountability from anyone. I did not get in trouble. No one spanked me. No one did anything. And that was really the pattern my whole life. As, as, a, as, a, as a kid, I used to do some bad things. Wow. Um, juvenile activity, breaking things and beating people up, stealing money from you know, my, my grandma's purse. You, you name it. I was, just, I was just bad. Who is the disciplinarian? In, in your family, was it your stepdad? I was, I was, it, when my mom was married, it was it was Roy, okay. right? It was, it was my stepfather, but you know that you know he he was abusive to her, oh, he would, so she eventually left him. Okay. Um, but then after that, it's back to you know, and I went to live with my grandmother for a while, and like I, I mean, said, I, just, yeah. I, I mean, never since really... you, okay, sorry. I mean, since you were feeling invisible, do you think that was a way to make yourself known, like here, you know? I'm doing these bad things. See me, you know. Yeah, maybe. maybe. You think that? Yeah. I felt. I felt there was. You know, I, I would say it was me wanting to prove what I can get away with. Hmm. But maybe then maybe the next step was well, well. Why did you want to feel like you could get away with stuff? Well, well maybe maybe it was because I wanted some sort of attention. And but it was a it was a it was a pattern of behavior that kept escalating. You know, that's just, that stuff just gets worse. If no one checks you, no one makes you accountable for your actions. It just gets worse. And so I'm in my twenties. Um, you know, was, you know, it's cheating on my wife. You know, paying for abortions. Oh man. Um, it's stealing money. I mean, stealing money was 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 a, it was not even on top five worst things I've ever done in my life. But it was one. It was just another. It was just. And so finally, I'm in the courtroom, and 
And thank God the people who I, I, I stole the money from want, you know, to lock them up and throw away the key because the prosecutors just want to give me six months because the money was paid back, most of it. So, you know, give them six months, you know, slap them on the wrist. But, you know, the people I stole the money from wanted, you know, it was political at that time, you know, just oh, lock them and throw away. If they had given me six months, I'd probably be the same person I was, right? But when wow. I judge said, when I judge said nine years, oh, that fixed me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I went, I went, you, you wrote this. I wish I could say that I went to prison and found Christ, but that would not be the truth. It was Jesus who found me in very bad condition and gave me a new opportunity at life. That is the exact same thing that happened to me. It's just, I, I didn't find God. God found me. That was that mm. profound because I was going about my life. You know, I got into a lot of different problems, you know, prostitution, pornography, and all this yeah. stuff. But yeah. but it, it was that way for me to, it's just God took pity on me. And you were broken, right? You're a recent member. You were just broken. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, everybody gets there in a different, in a different way. Yeah, hopefully. All right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, anyway. And then, and then you wrote, you wrote this. Oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. On August 8th, 2006, I was confirmed and received into the Catholic Church, taking St. Joseph as my confirmation name. It was funny. St. Joseph was there as a kid. As I used to ride my bike past St. Joseph Hospital in Warren, Ohio, and there he was again at my hour of conversion in St. Joseph Parish. I suppose he has always been there watching me move along. I just, I, I see St. Joseph as a very important place in my life. It, it's so bizarre because, I mean, here we are two, two different people, different parts of the country, you know, getting into different problems and, you know, whatever. And St. Joseph, I thought was always there too. I had that same impression. I had a devotion to St. Joseph, never paid much attention to it. In, throughout my adulthood, I left the church. I didn't practice. But then St. Joseph sort of came back again. Huh. Isn't that strange? Yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's just like, he's always in, in, the, in the background, like he, is, like he is in the scriptures, right? He doesn't even say anything, right? Yeah. But you just always have his presence there. Yeah. I think he's the father for people that need a father. Hmm. And I needed a father. I always needed just a father. And, uh, he stepped in. I don't know if you needed a father, but but he stepped in too. Yeah, he he he's the prototype, and it's always type of, the way I always envisioned the always type of father I always wanted. Mm. Right? And so, uh, wow, yeah, that's strange because that's exactly the same thing that I thought exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wrote this during the height of the financial crisis. We heard more and more about people choosing to commit suicide in the wake of losing it all. I've also been there. I know the experience well of losing everything that made me feel like someone. I know very well the feeling of loss, of worthlessness, emptiness, and failure that drives a person to want to quit life. Whew, okay. Um, the uh this is yeah deep it, suicide is primarily a male problem but it's primarily a problem that men don't talk about 
though. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's nearly 80% of, it's, I think, 79%. 80% of the suicides in the United States are men. Wow. I did not know that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So you contemplate, I mean, I, I, I actually attempted suicide. But you, you contemplated killing, killing, killing yourself. Yeah, I mean, like you, when you say attempted, did you like, did you I like? Sl I, I slashed myself. Oh, okay. So you drew blood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't really know how to classify whether I attempted or not, because I mean, there I was, everything that had thought made me me in life, you know, or whatever I was pursuing, right? I was the accumulation of things, the accumulation of money, the accumulation of women, accumulation of cars, of degrees, um, whatever Freemasonry has given me, the accumulation of Masonic degrees and fame and title, all that that, that, that I accumulated, that, that I self-identified through and I thought made me me was now gone, right? Here I was um, in, in a prison cell and my lawyers tell me, hey, they wanna, they're talking about nine years, right? And so for back then, and I, I ended up not even doing just a little bit over half of that, but back then, nine years, the difference between nine years and 90 years didn't seem like anything to me. It was all like, that's yeah. a long time. And I could not do that. So I called, got on the phone um, that night and I, you know, and I called all my family. They didn't know what I was talking about. I just said, hey, just want to call to you. I love you. Mm. And I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. Um, but I got back on the bed that night and I put a bag, plastic bag around my head, yep. um, tighten it up with a, with a bed sheet, make a light sort of noose. And what I was trying to do, I was trying to suffocate myself. Okay. I didn't know if it was going to work or not, but it seemed like a good plan. Probably would have worked. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and so I started turning myself to tighten, tighten it up. And so by in the second and a half turn, I hear a voice. Mm -hmm. like an audible voice not an internal voice like a voice from without that was clear not like strong not yelling at me but just a a calm voice that says I love you I am here I love you I am here and I hear that voice it's an audible voice I'm like what's that <laughs> And then like, and then I look around, you know, nobody's, nobody's there. And then I asked the question in my head, like, who said that? And the answer, which is now internal, is Jesus, mm -hmm. which is a strange answer, completely ridiculous answer. Cause I didn't, I thought Jesus was fiction that he's made up. I thought it was the white man's religion. Right. And so. <laughs> This Jesus who, you know, when I was a Freemason, I would go into his lodges and tell people they couldn't end their name in Jesus. You know, I won't let my, my kids go to church because the Baptist church people told them only Christians go to heaven. And so I was completely anti-Christian. But that was a Jesus that told me he loved me. He was there for me. It's still a strange answer. I still can't, you know, aside from his grace, I can't, I don't know why, right? It's and so, beautiful. yeah, and that's, that's what stopped me from continuing to turn that noose. It, it, again, it's interesting, the parallels and the intersections here, because 
I mean, there's a lot of ways to kill yourself. Some people do it quickly, like with a gun or a knife. Mm-hmm. And then some people or, or like you were trying to do, or some people will do it slowly with drugs, with uh, alcohol, with lifestyles. I, I was trying to do it slowly at the point of my, but my conversion story was very similar mm-hmm. to yours where I wasn't, I wasn't particular. I don't know about you, but I wasn't particularly on a journey at that point. I wasn't exploring mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. I wasn't reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, I was living a really bizarre and sick life. And suddenly this, I don't know how to describe it. This, I never heard a voice, but, but I knew Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ was there. I darn knew it because I saw him. And then mm-hmm. it was like that. <laughs> yeah. And I just made all the difference, right? Yes, it did. It did. And it stopped yeah. me because at that point I was, I was near death too. And it just stopped. It just stopped me in my tracks. Some people need like a, 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 a big intervention like that. Yeah. 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 Cause I think, I mean, he gave both of us enough opportunity to get this right on our own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you were raised, you were raised, I mean, you were, you were raising, raising the faith. Um, I had a bunch of Christians around me all my life. Um, I think we had a free choice on our own to make the right choice, but for whatever reason, by his grace, God and his grace, he intervened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This this is another really profound thing you wrote. You wrote my false my false self, the pretense, the mask that I had worn most of my life was shattered, and I hated the image that I saw looking back at me in the broken mirror. I smelled the stench of self and became nauseous. It was then that I realized that I did not know who the hell I was. Who was I? You know, I think people that and I don't want to speak for you, but I think people that, that get into some sort of self-destructive behaviors, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any soft conversions. <laughs> you know, they, they, you don't go out and find a ministry that suits you. You know, I didn't go out looking for an LGBT ministry that had the rainbow flag and pride mass and all this stuff. It oh, was, wow. I, I just knew at that moment that, everything was wrong and just everything had to change now. And I, I, I kind of got that feeling when I was reading your story too. It was just, it was abrupt. It was like St. Paul. It was just an abrupt conversion. Now it happens now, you know? Yeah. 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 I thank you. Thanks for telling me that. Cause sometimes, um, you know, videos I I've made about uh, priests who are pushing the, um, homosexualism sometimes I'll get comments underneath those posts from fathers with, with sons who um, are same sex attracted. And they say, you know, what do I, what do I say to my son? Or, or like the video I made about masturbation. Um, You know, people comment on there like, Oh, I know. And they'll they'll email me, you know, say, you know, what can I do? You know, all this stuff. The point that you just made was that, sometimes we could be so far down into that rabbit hole mm-hmm. right that we need something abrupt to just pull us out yep yeah. yep yep i i i tell this to parents too that have lgbt kids and because they want to know what to do and and prayer i think is important because i know my dad as strained as our relationship was 
my dad prayed me out of that life. I, 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 I know it. He just right. prayed day and night, day and night. Uh, how many rosaries? Uh, he would do the four mysteries of the rosary, not four decades, the four mysteries of the rosary twice a day. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Wow. And, and I know that, that that's what pulled me out of it. I, I only, only love can pray with such reverence, right? Yeah. 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 Some people, I think, have a difficulty maybe expressing love verbally yeah. or outwardly. But I think prayer can be an act of love. And I think if that's what people have to give, that's what they give. You know, yeah. and uh, I know some some parents, you know, they may have a, a child, in, you know, the LGBT or same sex attraction culture. And they. um And they they hate where the child is at. Right. Yeah. But. It, but their hatred or whatever doesn't have really it doesn't manifest in love for the child. It manifests in some sort of feeling about themselves. Oh, I, I failed or what's wrong for me or they're just personal, just prejudice, not being whatever. And so it's, it's about, they'll, they'll pray maybe a couple of times, but it's all about them rather than mm-hmm. for, the, for the child. But obviously your father, his love for you because hatred or whatever, it, it doesn't pray that persistently. <laughs> oh. My my dad did not like what I was doing, but I think he saw beyond what I had become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a special. I think a parent has that power to do. I mean, I've never been a parent, you know, so I I don't know, but I think a parent can can do that. They can look at their child and say, "Wow, they've really gone, you know, off the track." But I remember that kid. You know, so I, I want to read one more thing you wrote and then I'll stop. <laughs> the same guy who mocked, hated, and crucified Jesus is the same guy who Christ Jesus told that he loves him and that he is here for him. This was when I first learned that God's mercy cannot be merited. It is freely given and freely received. There is nothing that we can do to earn it, and it is often given to us when we least deserve or expect it. The depth of his mercy is abundantly more fathomless than any of us can ever dream or dream of or imagine. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's, it's, it's never, nobody, you can't count anybody out. Nobody is a, is a lost cause. All right. Because God never gives up on anybody. Yeah, yeah, yes. But that's that's very important for us to remember if we're gonna be good Catholics and and have the proper disposition as far as our prayer life, you know, because I know there's some people that's just hard to pray for, right? Um, just on a human level, because some things they're involved in or how they mean how they may be treating the church or whatever, but God doesn't give up on us. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wanted to, I've been, I've had you too long here talking to you, but I could talk to you all day. Um, I wanted to uh, just shift a little bit because in your podcast, um, you've talked about, um, when you talk about a a broad range of of topics, (laughs) but what I like to, like I said, I've always got the LGBT issue on, on my mind. That's what I'm laser focused on. And not a lot of straight, 
Catholic laymen, you know, talked about these topics and, and priests are afraid to do so. Because wow. I mean, if you specifically talk about a certain like active activist priest like James Martin or um, Brian Massengale, um, priests have told me they get they get punished. Oh, they get, they get talked to. So I'm oh. glad. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, tell me about it. So I'm glad that Catholic laymen like you, God bless you, have stepped forward. And this is what I keep saying they need to do. You step forward and, and you've talked talked about it so and i and i wanted to add your i think you in your videos you go into a bit more depth than i've seen a lot of people do that i that i appreciate and you and you and you know the topic i think just a lot of straight guys are squeamish about talking about the issue of homosexuality <laughs> at, at all <laughs> so thank you thank you yeah yeah you, you you did one on brian massengale no the father massengale is a professor of theology at fordham which is a mm -hmm. jesuit which is, which is a jesuit university <laughs> and, and i think you did a good job of dissecting some things that he's that he has has said i wanted i just wanted to get your impression of what he said here um this is uh i think this was at the la rec i went to the los okay. angeles religious education congress he wrote, we're in this transitional time when we're moving out of one paradigm of understanding homosexuality and into another. That's part of the mess we're in, but it is our faith as Catholics that this mess contains the ground for new life and new birth. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to laugh, but... He just like, as soon as you started off, I just got confused. I mean, I don't, so much of what he says, I get lost in. I have to like, like that video I responded to, I had to listen to it several times just to compartmentalize. You said, you can, yeah, you compared it to like going into a dumpster and trying to. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's what it was. Like, I mean, if you, sometimes you, you go into, uh, hopefully you don't have to do it often, but you go into your trash bin or your dumpster, you got to pull all the trash out and you organize it. And then or you're trying to find something and then you realize this is just all trash anyway, right? And that's, that's what it felt like trying to unpack what he, he was saying. But, um, but I, you know, I, I, I never thought about that. I didn't, I didn't know that, would, that wasn't that many um, straight guys or uh, uh, talking, talking about this. And so I always, I, I, I completely understand. Well, they're the only, you're the, you guys are the only ones. I mean, you did a video on Father, um, the priest in, in, in um, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin, Greiton, yeah. Yes, you did, you did a video on, on, on him. Yeah. And he's, so what, he's, what I, so, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're an expert on this from your, your previous lifestyle. You made a conversion. Um, and so, I mean, you could, you, you see things that, that we don't see. You could talk about this better than, than we can, obviously. You're 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 our expert on on these issues. What where do you what what do I get wrong? Or what about is, when I'm is, talking about it? Oh, you haven't at all. No, oh, really? No, no, not yeah. at all. I mean, when he when he talks about there's a new paradigm of understanding human sexuality. I mean, is there is there going to be a new paradigm in the Catholic Church? I mean, Church? There, there, there there cannot be because where he's where he's coming from, him and James Martin and, and those types, where they're they're coming from, is that 
they want the, the church to, to change its, its understanding of, our complete understanding of what it means to be human being. I mean, they, they're offering really ontological or anthropological argument here about the human being is created intentionally, specifically by God to, um, and what I mean by that, when I say that God is intentionally creating people right. with the divine intention and purpose to have same-sex attraction and that it's, it, it is immutable, that there are some people like me who may always be inclined to, I don't know, stealing things. People just have inclinations, right? So if people are inclined to have same-sex attraction, okay, people, people have inclinations, all right? But what this new paradigm that they're offering is that, that people are born that way and they, some people, maybe they'll say, are you all people, will not change, right? And that because they were created specifically intentionally by God to be that way, then that breaks down what we understand about marriage. If God created people to have same-sex attraction, then what's, what's wrong with marriage? Why can't, why can't they get married? And so this, this new paradigm, it opens up all types of doors that the Catholic dogma just can't go through. We have to change so much about our understanding of the human nature to go down this, this new paradigm that, it, I mean, it's just flat out heretical. But they, they always want to put out these little dog whistles and, and um, these, little, these little tidbits of, well, I'm not really saying that. I'm not, you know, but they keep trying to push this envelope to change what the Catholic Church teaches about human sexuality. And it's, 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 it, it just can't go. And what, what bugs me, too, is that the majority of, of gay men who identify as gay men were either sexually assaulted by another man as a child, and then most of them had, had dysfunctional relationships with their fathers. So was that preordained by God as well? I mean, there you go. I mean, this, this, this new paradigm, um, and you could say the same thing about a lot of, a lot of women, right, who are, um, who, um, are, are lesbians, that I fear story after story with them that they were either raped or they had some sort of traumatic experience with a man that turned that that turned them that way, and so yes, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, what are, what are we saying here? What is this really this new paradigm? Uh, is 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 often a new paradigm? How we're supposed to understand sin and the nature of sin, nature of temptation, and God's grace? It's it's weird. It is it is weird, and I th I think it's difficult for people to untangle because I think if you try to tease any logic out of their argument, I think you just kind of like you just kind of go crazy. You can't because it's all about it's all based on emotion and it's based on their attachment to an identity. And yeah, yeah. I mean that's 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 the nail on the head. I think you hit it the nail. And that's really what I tried to address with both Greiton and and with Massingill that I think you, you, man, you, you could find this in anywhere. It's just, it's not just not with homosexuality. It's, it's not, it's, it's, with, it's just with a lot of things. Sometimes it's just with religion. Sometimes people have to hold on to a crutch mm -hmm. to get them through life. They have to walk on that crutch to get them through life. And if you kick that crutch away, that crutch that or that story that they relied on, then they will completely collapse and fall, perhaps feel suicidal, 
so you, you have to keep telling yourself sometimes the same story just to get through life. The problem with that is that when you don't take the time to ask yourself, is this story that I'm telling myself, is it true or is it not true? I think for people like Massengill and for Greiden and for James Martin, they haven't taken the time or they don't care or they're scared to ask themselves, is this story that I'm telling myself true? And they're scared. They're scared of the answer. Hmm. Hmm. You, 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 uh, this is something that, that I wanted your reaction to. This is something that Father James, you know, I'm reticent to call these people fathers. You know, I just, I mean, would you call an abusive deadbeat dad a father? I just, I have, a, <laughs> I just have a difficult time. Yeah. Yeah. I just, now I just say, you know, James Martin. Yeah, so I James, say Jamie. I say Jamie. Just, I just think that's just a little more effeminate. Right. <laughs> uh, he said this, saying that one of the deepest parts of a person, the part that gives and receives love, is disordered, is needlessly hurtful. A few weeks ago, I met an Italian theologian who suggested the phrase differently ordered might convey that idea more pastorally. Differently ordered. I, I don't understand why they won't well, I think I do understand why. I, I, I think it's become I think it's become intensely personal for a lot of these priests. I mean, you touched upon that in one of your videos. Yeah. I, I, I think it's become intensely personal, this fight, this fight in, in the church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, certainly they could go to denominations that are very accepting of the LGBT, you know, identity right. and the lifestyle. Right, right. I'm just, I'm, I, I completely understand why they fight so hard to normalize their, how they feel. Right? I think Martin Luther did the same thing in, in, a, in a different sort of way. Um, you know, the whole, his, his whole I, idea was, was pushed forth because he just couldn't understand why God loved him. Perhaps he had a bad father, right? He, he could just not understand why does God love a sinner like me? And he came up with this, this idea, well, he just loves me, you know, it's grace alone. I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. And this morphed into a whole religion, but it was his, the story he had to tell himself to justify who he was. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, that people do. The sad thing is that we tolerate it in our church. We, have, we tolerate these people who want to come in and change what the Catholic church has taught for 2000 years because they don't like who they are. Because they can't reconcile, because they they they, they want they rather change God's church rather than change themselves, and we tolerate that, and I can't understand why we do. Yes, that's why I think, and you and you said it earlier. That's why I think your story is important because in reading it, I mean, you asked yourself the tough questions, and I think a lot of people don't want to go there. I asked I myself, mean, I asked myself a couple of them. I mean, you've asked well, me tougher you, questions than I asked myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, when when I read that that piece from your article about looking in the mirror and seeing that yeah. facade drop, that people can't do that. It's scary. Because, yeah, well, they spend a lifetime building that up. Yeah. And, and they think it's protecting them and shielding them from yeah. pain. And they think it's who they are. Yeah. But letting that drop is not is not easy, and they won't do it. I think there, I mean, obviously there, there's freedom in it. There's <sighs> so much freedom. In telling, in, in 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 reconciling the your your mask with actually who you are. There's freedom in that, but that's 
scary. I, I understand why they don't want to. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to end on, I always like to end on something positive. And um, you, you wrote this on Facebook. I really, I thought this was nice. This was from February 16th, 2019. You write, you wrote, I never had a biological son but I've been a father figure to many boys I've mentored. But just from being a son to a good father and stepfather, I know there's nothing like having a man to look up to and learn from. If you have the opportunity to be a father or father figure, embrace it and love it. Men, be a blessing. Amen. Thank you. This is what I've been challenging a lot of you know, straight Catholic laymen to do. Because I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of guys who grew up with, without fathers, with abusive fathers, with mm -hmm. fathers they didn't get along with, with ones they had dysfunctional relationships with, and I, I think they need boys and men need need mentors and they and they need good men yeah. in their lives. So I mean, you're saying it right there, men be a blessing. It's hard. It, I know it's tough for men because they've got a lot of different things going on. They've got their own families. Right. They've got work. And they've, they've got their own life and they're trying to raise their own kids. And it's hard to be, to be that, to be that for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you at least um, got to try. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when I was, when I, you know, when I was living, living in Columbus, Ohio, I did it more formally. Some oftentimes is like I went to an organization to, that connected me with some kids, you know, I was that type of mentor, but I don't think it has to be that, that formal all the time. I think, there's a lot of kids in everybody's neighborhood, right? There's a lot of, you know, you always have to be careful with parents, you know, but you know, there's, there's, there's a kid in your neighborhood who you can have conversations with and talk to, right? There's young men who you work with. It, it might not be a kid kid, you know, like under, you know, a teenager or something, but there's some young men at everyone's job who may not have had a dad who's struggling. He's 22 who you can just talk to. There's kids in everyone's family, you know, your, your cousin's kid, your, 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 your sister who got a divorce. There's, there's kids everywhere around you. There's young men who you can have an impact in their life. I do that now at, at, at work because um, I don't have an opportunity to be a mentor anymore formally. But just young guys at work, you know, who um, just, just talk to them. Everyone's struggling in some sort of way. And so men, men. I think we have that responsibility to reach out and be a father figure to, um, to men younger than us. Thank you. And, and you, you have the experience, but I think what's most important and you've expressed this in your writing is that you've been willing to be vulnerable and to share, you know, your own past and, you know, your own problems, your own failings. And I think that that's what people need to hear. I think they need to hear that somebody else, has been where I am, have been through it, and they've come out the other end and they're a better person. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's what's important. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. Thank you, David. For Thanks, Joseph, for having me on. For talking to me. I, I could talk to you for, for, for days. Yeah, we got to talk again. I got to have you on over, to, over on um, Talking Catholic so I can, I can ask you the tough questions this time. <laughs> I, would, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for going on this journey with me. And, and thank you. Yeah, thank you for your life. And, and thank you for your willingness to share it with, with others. Because I think especially men need, need to hear from, from other men, especially in, in, in the Catholic Church. So.
Thank you so much. God bless you. you.